0: East Lansing Insider, a new podcast from East Lansing Info. My name is Andrew Graham. I'm your host today. And before we get into anything else, I'd like to bring you a word from our public editor, Ann Nichols.
1: My name is Ann Nichols, and as Andrew said, I'm Eli's public editor. This podcast will feature East Lansing news, news analysis, and insider information you can only get from us. I'm here to make sure Alice, Andrew, and Emily stick to the facts, keep it clean, and generally behave themselves. So welcome, listeners,
0: and team, do me proud. Proud enough. Generally behave ourselves is the key term there. Thank you for that, Anne. And now on to the rest of the show. It's Wednesday, October 21st, and I'm joined by Emily Joan Elliott and Alice Drager. So first things first, let's let's do some introductions. Emily, explain yourself.
2: What an introduction. Hi, my name is, <laughs> my byline is Emily Joan Elliott. I use my middle name because there's over 350 Emily Elliots out there in the United States, so I wanted some individuality. Uh, I've been reporting with East Lansing Info since January, and it was interesting because we quickly then went into staying at home when the pandemic hit, so... I've never met Andrew, and I think I've seen Alice three times in my life, but it's been wonderful working here. Um, before that, I earned, I'm earned i from the Bronx, New York, and I lived in New York State until 2012. Then I moved to Michigan to earn my PhD in Soviet history at MSU, and Michigan just couldn't shake me, and I'm still here. And that is my backstory.
1: And I'm Alice Drager and I'm the founder and executive director and publisher of East Lansing Info. We started this version of Eli in about 2014. Emily uh, will, I hope, be named by the board of directors our managing editor tonight when we have our board meeting. That is a board-level decision. It's not a decision I make on my own. So I will be making that recommendation, feeling fairly confident they will be happy to say yes. So soon that's how you'll know her. My background, my PhD is in history and philosophy of science from Indiana University. You do not have to have a PhD to work at East Lansing, Info, but it helps. Um, And my background is just that I did investigative history and ended up realizing that we had no real news reporting here in East Lansing in terms of the day-to-day life, especially in terms of city government. So I founded Eli and it's grown since then. And I still have another life on the side that does other things, but uh, Eli has taken up a lot of my time and I love it. It's brought me uh, home in many ways because in many ways, I didn't know what was happening here before we started doing this work. And it's also let me meet and work with terrific people. So with that, Andrew.
0: Beautiful. So yeah, I am not a doctor yet. <laughs> um, I'm Andrew Graham. I am currently the, the City Desk editor um, and doer of many things at eli um i've reported on and off um throughout recent summers um as i got a degree in broadcast journalism from syracuse university i'm funnily enough actually the only person at eli with formal journalism training not that i need my elite east coast education we have had others currently i think i'm the only one um And so I I mainly cover city stuff and do, you know, other reporting as needed. Um, I'm from Okemos, Michigan. I'm a lifelong resident besides um, my four years in central New York. So very, very familiar with East Lansing, um, despite going to rival OHS. Um, And I guess like a a fun fact about me was I I covered ACC football at Syracuse for a couple of years. So I come to this from a background of covering a, a college sports beat. Um, and I very much enjoyed the the sort of different nuances and contours of covering a city government and a occasionally weird one at that. Um, and now I guess I'll get we'll give a little quick explanation of this podcast since this is um, brand new. That ideally we're uh, we're going to be having more segments as we we go along with this. Different clips of interviews of different meetings, uh, breaking down stuff, audio features, and so on. Um, But at least for this first edition, we're going to go through some headlines and have a have a discussion about the news in East Lansing and looking ahead to this weekend when MSU football returns and such. And so with that, we should get into some headlines. So, Emily, you published an article earlier this week about elections and voting early at the Hannah Center. If an East Lansing resident wishes to do that, they can head down pretty much any time between now and Election Day and cast their ballot you also covered school board on Monday night and covered the the possible plan on returning to school in January for in-person instruction, which is, of course, a huge topic around town. Alice was covering council last night and had a big roundup, including discussion about council's diversity, equity, and inclusion training over the weekend and a tidbit about releasing materials to the public ahead of time. And I had a story to publish this morning about the return of msu football this weekend which is of course a big deal so first things first i think council was last night alice if you'd just like to take us through the uh the the sub headlines of what happened
1: you mentioned that um i did a roundup one of the things we've been doing at eastlansinginfo.news is providing people not just information about what happens after the meeting but trying to get you informed in terms of what's coming up at the meetings this week. So Andrew did that for us, the preview, and then I did the roundup. Basically, City Council was kind of quiet this week, but is dealing with ongoing a lot of big projects. So one of the things they're working on, for example, is bringing them, the city up to speed on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So on Saturday, the City Council spent eight hours together with some facilitators from the Truth and Titus project out of Kalamazoo area, or maybe at Battle Creek. And... Um, they basically spent a lot of time trying to do some soul searching and some consciousness raising. And then this week, they approved the final sale of the lot for parking lot, which is at the corner next to Dublin Square to MSUFCU. MSUFCU is going to build a seven-story office building there, and the construction is expected to start probably in January of um, next year, so just a couple months from now. In addition to that, they did not get to another nearby project, which is the question of rebuilding Albert Avenue and Evergreen Avenue near the park, near Valley Court Park. That got put off because there's still a lot of questions about what's going to get developed around there in terms of the DDA's evergreen properties. And those are coming up to the DDA meeting tomorrow, Thursday. Um, We're doing this recording on Wednesday so other than that um they also this week changed officially the name of the human relations commission to the human rights commission which has been in conversation for a while and that officially became the case and uh that's kind of what they did this week they've got lots of other stuff coming up in the future they're revising the policy in terms of how virtual meetings will work because they have to follow the new state law with regard to how that has to work and then in addition to that, we're expecting the evergreen properties at some point to come forward towards council in terms of making some decisions about what's going to get built on those properties and how that debt is going to be dealt with.
0: Could you talk a little bit more? I think the evergreen properties is the the interesting thing that didn't happen at council last night, um, the, that infrastructure work and ultimately what what might get proposed there. From From what we can gather, it seems like there isn't a set idea or a or a solidified plan of what's going in there. How much do you think that might be impacting timeline on council discussing it and the DDA potentially taking action and that infrastructure work getting done?
1: River Caddis Development, which is a local development firm, definitely wants to build something on the evergreen properties. And what they've said they want to build is a project called the Citadel- CITED, AL, which stands for something I forget that has to do with the technology uh, district, even though it's actually only one property at this point. And basically what they want to build is a very big office building that would be eight stories high and contain about 250,000 square feet of office space. When they originally pitched the idea, they were going to provide 250 spots of parking interior to that building, which in theory at least would have provided some parking for that building and maybe for nearby buildings as well. But now they don't want to build the interior parking because it's crazy expensive to do so. So they're foisting that off on the city. And the city is looking at the question of whether or not it should build another parking garage west of Abbott Road in this case. Um, And so this is nowhere near a done deal. River Caddis is really still in the pitch stage trying to come up with a plan with the DDA on what to do about the debt. The DDA owes a bit more than $5 million on these properties, which is well more than they are actually worth And so they can't just sell them off and take the money and call it a day. They have to figure out some way to sell it to a developer who will agree to pay basically more than market price in exchange for something else. And what the river caddis folks want in exchange for something else is a tax incentive plan that from what we can tell basically would mean ultimately they'd get the land for free. So essentially what would happen is they would build a project. New taxes would be generated by that project through a thing called tax increment financing or TIF And those new taxes would be captured and given back to the developer essentially for the cost of the land. If that's the case, one of the things that could happen is the DDA could decide to go out and see who else wants to pitch based on this. They already did that. They did a thing called a request for proposals uh, late last year, but when they did that, they didn't say, what would you build here if we could get you enough tax incentives to basically get you the land for free? They said, pitch us your ideas. Only two sets of ideas came in. One came in from DRW Convexity, which has built the Abbott on the corner, and also the Graduate Hotel, and um, DRW Convexity pitched a sort of mixed use area, but then decided to withdraw because the tax assessments made it basically not work for them in terms of it being too expensive to build. So River Caddis was the only one left, and that's why the DDA ended up pursuing that. So we'll we'll see what happens. River Caddis has an idea of office. Everybody loves the idea of more office downtown. However, obviously with the pandemic going on, it's kind of a challenging time to build office. And even if that weren't going on, there's a question of whether or not they could attract big tenants down to the Evergreen Avenue area. So some of the city council members have some hesitation over this because they're understandably concerned about the idea of having office built and then having it be vacant. And it's worth noting that uh, MSUFCU and their seven story project is building two, two of those stories not planned to be occupied by them at this time and they've not yet identified a tenant. So that suggests it's not an easy time to find office tenants for downtown East Lansing.
0: I'm going to move the conversation on and get our fearless managing editor and yet to talk much, Emily Joan Elliott. Um, you watched School Board on Monday night, and they discussed the potential plans for bringing students back to, to school for in-person instruction starting in January, if I'm not mistaken. Um, obviously, maybe the the biggest topic over the coming months in East Lansing. Um, What was that discussion like and what were some major takeaways you had from that?
2: Sure. First, I want to say, don't jinx me yet, Andrew. I'm not managing (laughs) editor until hopefully this evening. Um, But with school board, it was an interesting conversation because over the summer, there was the back and forth, will they, won't they be in person and the ultimate decision, as we all know, was to go online. And there has been feedback from pa- or pushback from parents for various reasons, but the two biggest ones being concerns over child care and even for parents who stay at home and are working from home or maybe are stay-at-home parents who aren't employed beyond taking care of their children. It's a lot to go through these contact management systems if you have more than one child issues with Wi-Fi connection. Um, So the meeting on Monday was different in that when they said, we're coming up with a plan to go back beginning January 4th, that would be K through five going back. And then the older middle school and high school kids going back on January 19th, I believe, two weeks after there was concern that January 4th was too early. What if people went and spent the new year with family members or friends elsewhere, contracted COVID, you might not actually test positive yet and accidentally send your child to school thinking they were negative when they're not. Um, But what the plan includes is not everyone has to go in person. This means if you want to continue online, you think the transition's too tumultuous, you're afraid of The COVID situation in Ingham or East Lansing at that point, you can continue online education for your children through the end of this academic year. Um, Some kids have already started to go back into the building this week. Children in the special education program began small group in-person learning for several hours a few times a week, and that's going to be expanded to include English language learners uh, later on in the next upcoming week, sometime in late October, early November. And another concern that came up was students keeping the same teachers. Teachers are either going to be an in-person teacher or an online teacher. ELPS has moved away from the idea of having one teacher do both based on what they've seen happen in other districts, because you have teachers really doing two jobs and then left feeling like they're not doing either job particularly well. Um, So there's some concern about children not having the same teacher and that issue of continuity. But this also helps accommodate teachers who might have underlying health conditions or other exemptions that they don't have to teach in person if it would complicate their health should they contract COVID-19.
0: Yeah, I thought an interesting point when I read your story was the the breakdown that Superintendent Dory Lyko provided about they're sort of the six groups and they are divided by kind of parents, students, and teachers, and those groups are divided by those who would rather be in person and those who would rather not, and that creates for a very interesting dynamic of different stakeholders with different views and different wants and needs, and that I think my read from... Fortunately, not having to worry about going back to school is that no one's going to be left completely satisfied.
2: Yes, no one's going to be left completely satisfied. And what Dory Lyko also pointed out is everyone is coming from a place of concern about health and some are very concerned about physical health. What happens if I contract COVID-19 or my child does? What if you live with a grandparent or you have a parent with an underlying health condition? But then there's also the mental health concerns of lack of socialization, what happens for children, um, where home school maybe is safer than home. So everyone's concerned about health, but they're looking at different facets as well.
0: Right. Um, and then I want to jump on, get to your election article, um, which I found very, very helpful, even though I'm a, I am from the Eli Okemos Bureau and I vote in Meridian Township. Um, that basically, if you you are an East Lansing resident and you want to vote today, tomorrow, any day of the Monday through Friday, you can head over to the Hanna Center and they've got a remote satellite clerk's office, I believe, is what it is, where you can register to vote, cast a ballot, get on with your day.
2: Yeah, that was a great article to write because we've referred to the satellite center in several articles. But Marie Wicks, who was formerly the city clerk, is now running the satellite location. And she reached out to us because they want to draw attention to it. It's been underutilized, and I had that anecdotally confirmed. Someone who with whom I was speaking yesterday said his wife had gone and voted there and was the only person there. Um, the satellite location opens because in 2018, a voter proposal passed, which was seen to make access to voting easier. So East Lansing anticipated more voters would want to show up and vote. Marie Wick said people are still going to the main clerk's office in City Hall because that's what they're familiar with. But the clerk's office has to do other things. They're testing Election Day equipment. They still have to do things like answer our FOIA requests where the satellite location is only taking care of voting. And it's a one-stop shop is what Marie calls it. If you're not registered to vote, it's 137 on Wednesday. You could go and by today have voted in your first election. So you could go. You can register to vote. You could apply for your absentee ballot. They could give it to you. There's space to fill it out. You fill it out. You submit it and you leave. You can take the ballot home too and submit it. There's drop boxes, uh, one on campus at the transportation center on Shaw one outside City Hall, and one near the Department of Public Works.
1: Just to be clear, um, this is not just for people who have not yet registered. If you are registered to vote, you can just head over there with your ID and very simply check in and vote right then and there. So if you're somebody who's used to going to the polls to vote, this allows you to have that same basic
2: experience, except you can do it right now.
0: Mm -hmm. And your ballot will technically be absentee.
2: Yes, and Marie wants to emphasize, particularly for the student population in East Lansing, saying, Your photo ID can be your student ID or an out-of-state driver's license that has not expired. It has to be valid. Uh, They're not checking your address. They're just confirming your identity, that your name and the photo match.
0: And then lastly, uh, I think it would be kind of weird if I asked myself about my own football story, so I'll pass it off to you two since you both um, went over it yesterday and worked on it with me and I'm sure had different takeaways. Alice, go ahead.
1: Well, one thing I wanted to ask you, Andrew, because that that story was really interesting to both me and Emily because you did a lot of reporting for it. So t- tell us about what you did in terms of going into that reporting. What did you decide to do in terms of how to wrap your hands around it? Because One of the things we do a lot of is meeting reporting, and it's kind of obvious how to do a meeting report. You go and you listen, and if necessary, you bring in the background. But this was a more amorphous story, so talk to us about how you did it and what you found.
0: Yeah, I guess I'll give credit to all my different journalism professors who taught me the term enterprise story, um, which is really, this is sort of that. Everyone in East Lansing has something worth saying and something worth listening to about MSU football coming back because it affects everybody. But it's impossible and unruly and talking to everybody in East Lansing won't work. So it's how can I try and tap into different groups of stakeholders, different perspectives? And I admit, I think one that that the two that I wish I had done more and gotten my hands around were sort of residents like lifelong or recent or, you know, just people who, you know, live in East Lansing, they're sort of regular folks, so to speak, Um, and the student population. But I think talking to council members, people downtown who own businesses um, and those groups of people and just generally, I mean, you you can learn a lot about what people are feeling and thinking from Facebook posts, Twitter, you know, Facebook comments, Um, just even what they're asking is usually a pretty good indication of what someone is is thinking about or what's concerning them. And so I I knew I knew this would be a, a unique football season no matter what, and that you know, since none, no one in East Lansing and Mayor Aaron Stevens said it pretty well of no one in East Lansing has ever done that or in memory has ever experienced anything like this. And so it's sort of just taking it as it is. Um, And I was just curious about, it seems like over the last month more precautions and more measures and more structure has gone into place to manage COVID and sort of have a downtown where people can go to a restaurant and get a reservation, get seated at a table, sort of have a, a vaguely normal experience. And council recently adopted a resolution, making it a $500 fine to violate public health orders to really try and crack down on gatherings of students and just people in general that were too large. So really, it was, I, I think that the, the thing that I ended up getting after or, or latching onto was how how a game day with COVID is going to look and how the city, both the government and in general are preparing to respond.
1: And that, that was really interesting to me because I do think there's a lot we don't know. And of course, Eli will be covering whatever happens in the city as football does start to come back. What we are hearing a lot of is stress from residents who live in the student heavy neighborhoods with regard to what it's really going to look like. And I know the police are planning a pretty, Serious response in terms of writing a lot of tickets, if necessary, and sending those tickets over in the direction of MSU if it involves MSU students to try to discourage behavior that is disruptive, but also that could be um, have health implications for people who may be somebody who could get quite sick from COVID-19. So I did, I didn't want to miss that. We also had a couple of other stories. Um, Amalia Medina did a story for us on the Lansing Food Bank Mobile Distribution Center. Emily, did you want to talk a moment about that?
2: Yes, I believe that that is tomorrow. I can check. Yes. Thursday, yep. Uh, So it is a completely in-your-car event sponsored by Greater Lansing Food Bank. Greater Lansing Food Bank is bringing food to distribute at University Lutheran Church, which is on Harrison Road. You get there and you register, and I believe registration starts an hour before they'll start loading food in the car. Um, It's open to East Lansing residents and anyone in need. They're not looking to turn people away. And we wrote the article because we just want word out there that if you're in need, if you're food insecure, this is an option available for you, which also has safety precautions in place with the pandemic.
1: So if you're in that position, check eastlansinginfo.news, and you'll find that article on the front page. And then we also had a story from Heather Brothers about chickens.
2: Yes, this was a fun story. Uh, Heather is a good friend of mine, and she got to interview Marguerite Haverson, who owned chickens in East Lansing. Um, She spoke to her about what the benefits were, what the process is, what you should know before you raise chickens. And we got this idea because Alice was going through the city's FOIA log, and someone had FOIAed information about chicken permits in East Lansing. And the good news is, there's over thirty, or roughly thirty people with permits, and there has yet to been a, or there was not a violation in 2019. So we have very rule-followy chicken owners. <laughs>
1: and, and chickens yeah <laughs> and no no roosters according to the yes, law which no seems roosters to held up.
0: <laughs> east lansing's chicken per per capita basis or ratio we should eli <laughs> investigates this weekend i think is a big stress test for the COVID precautions that have been put in place and what's going to happen um and i'm curious to just get your guys perspectives um alice i know you are pretty close to downtown where, where you live, Emily, I'm not so sure, um, of just what, what your expectations for, for game day are going to be, um, and what, what you hope to, what you hope to see ultimately.
1: Well, it's not been a quiet fall, I have to say. I live in the Oakwood neighborhood, which is near Hannah Community Center, and we have had quite a miserable fall when it comes to noise from some of our neighbors, um, who are in the student population, Normally, when students are here, there's a regularity to it. So they have classes during the day, and they tend to party on the weekends. As it is now, because there are very few synchronous classes happening at MSU, there's no system to these folks' days. And so there's partying happening starting at 11 o'clock in the morning, going all night, happening Monday through Friday, as well as Saturday and Sunday. It's been a really difficult fall for my neighborhood, and I've heard the same thing from other student-heavy neighborhoods We've actually um, even had a student, I mean, sorry, a neighborhood meeting with the police specifically about the concern about noise because people here, they're working from home. Um, They're dealing with serious illnesses besides COVID. We have a number of families in the neighborhood who have people with terminal cancer who are home. This is a stressful situation to be in. So to have party noise, to have blaring music, um, to have really loud parties has been sort of uh, salt in the wound in terms of being stuck in place, trying to work and trying to cope from home. So uh, we're hopeful it gets better in the next few weeks. But in some ways, the COVID has really uh, brought to the surface a lot of the tensions that already exist in neighborhoods like mine. You know, we don't mind living with students. We purposely live in a neighborhood that has a variety of ages Uh, But at a time like this, having parties happening every day, waking you up at night, disrupting your attempts to do work from home during the day has been a lot to deal with. So I think we're going to see some stress this weekend. And there's been a lot of desire on the part of, I know, the City of East Lansing, as well as the neighborhoods, to see MSU step up and do its part in terms of supporting us. Um, And we'll see how that goes.
2: I don't have the same perspective as Alice, because I live in Lansing on the east side, kind of right on the other side of 127. So our neighborhood certainly has graduate students, um, but they're not as willing to party, I suppose. We don't have that same party atmosphere. I am worried, though, about what lies ahead. Having covered COVID-19 for Eli and when Linda Vale issued her quarantine for the students back in September, I did go and drive around that day. So she made quarantine effective at midnight, I believe. And I went around four or five just to see what was up. And I saw no less than seven beer pong games, which playing beer pong during a pandemic just kind of made me cringe with all the spit swapping that's probably going on. (laughs) Um, So hopefully, I mean, we're also talking about after those quarantines have come in place. So it's possible students might be on better behavior to try to avoid that. Um, And I know the university of Michigan, their students were just put into kind of a mandatory quarantine issued by Washtenaw County, which means then they would not be able to attend the game, not this weekend, but next weekend. So I don't know what to expect. I think the actual players and the staff will be fine. My friend's husband does uh, telecom work for the university. And I know he's tested. He has to be tested twice on Friday, so I think on the other side of Grand River Avenue, everything will kind of work out okay. I'm more worried about the residential side.
0: Yeah, I can I can give a bit on what's well, MSU. I think, and this is a big thing from a state, literally a statewide public health perspective. Is not there's going to be no tailgating on campus. Like campus is closed down as far as Saturdays concerned. Um, like you can drive through it. You can still like you know if you want to go for a walk on campus, you can. You still have to wear a mask. That sort of thing. But there's going to be no tailgating. The, the open container lo- rule, which is usually relaxed for home Saturdays, is still in place. And they're really hoping that prevents anyone, because you know, people come from all over the state's tailgate, that that prevents that, which would be obviously pretty bad from a public health perspective. Um, and then I do think the other thing is is seeing what MSU can do to step up in terms of enforcing suspensions and actually um, moving students through their judicial review, whatever they, I'm sure they have their name for it because i think that is for for students that that weirdly is a much more real consequence to them than even a 500 dollar fine and like a ticket. So i'm very curious to see how that plays out on the on the testing for the players in the the game i actually read yesterday that despite the stay at home order in washington county the football game will be being will be played like the football players are allowed to leave and fly to minneapolis to play a football game which is but it is. Um, they're yes, getting tested. I
2: heard on Go ahead. Michigan radio that they said this morning it's because athletic teams had ostensibly been in a bubble before this. Yeah. For I don't know the ins and outs, but that was the justification given.
1: We should point out, by the way, as the mayor always does, that when we're talking about students who are creating problems for other people, it is always a minority of students. The great majority of students who live in East Lansing uh, do not get noise violation tickets and do not ask for them and (laughs) do not cause public health problems. But we've had these outbreaks in the near university system and within some of the athletic system as well. What we have seen, interestingly, and I'm sure you guys have seen this, is a downturn in the number of students being tested. So a lot of students are choosing not to get tested because if you don't get tested, then you can't be quarantined. So that's a bit of an issue.
0: Stealing from the the president's logic of if you test less, you'll have fewer positive cases.
1: <laughs> exactly. And we should also point out that the idea of quarantine, the idea of worrying about this remains controversial. We do hear at Eli from people who are in slansing who feel that the logical way to go is herd immunity or that uh, theres it's not worth suppressing people's civil rights, uh, including their rights to movement and these kinds of things, the rights to make noise. Uh, but there are laws in East Lansing and there are regulations within Ingham County and within the state of Michigan that do restrict what people can and can't do to some degree, as it always has been the case, but in this case, specifically for COVID-19 and public health issues.
0: All right, so we're running up on a half an hour here, and we've talked for a pretty long time. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish us off on something that on a on a normal football podcast would be something run of the mill, but I think will be kind of amusing. Alice and Emily, predictions for for the football game on Saturday. Alice, I'll have you.
2: You have to tell me <laughs> who MSE was even playing.
1: I was I don't even know who they're playing. And this
0: is why it will be funny. Um they are playing Rut- they are playing <laughs> Rutgers and um I don't know if either of you are familiar with Rutgers football program, but it is
1: It's in New Jersey. Yes, Piscataway, yes. New
0: Jersey. Rutgers football is about the institutional equivalent in college football of like Enron in 1998. Um, just just nothing great coming from Rutgers. So theoretically MSU should win this game, but who knows. So I'll leave I'll give you that.
1: And what I really want to be talking about next week, as you know, is this hilarious thing currently being set up in East Lansing, where over 100 citizens are being invited to a closed door meeting to learn about the Open Meetings Act. But we'll talk about that in another podcast.
0: All righty. Thank you all for listening to this inaugural edition of the East Lansing Insider Podcast, and we hope you stick with us for future editions.
1: And check out eastlansinginfo.news.
0: I'm Andrew Graham here with Emily Joan Elliott and Alice Drager. Thanks for listening.